There's a lot of debate about whether state governments need a bailout because of COVID-19. Are they suffering from a downturn economy or are they looking for a bailout on their bad economic choices? I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this episode of Insight to Action, Michael Lambert, a federal policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity, and Anna McCausland, a senior policy analyst on state fiscal policy, explain what the evidence shows when it comes to stimulus payments and state bailouts. Here we go. Well, let's start. Let's start then, Michael, with with the federal level, looking at the stimulus packages that are being proposed, uh, the bailouts that are involved in that, and then our position on those things. Sure. So um, the last year has obviously seen a lot of debate around um, the federal government and its role in keeping the economy afloat in a time of emergency, um, you know, obviously the pandemic. But um, but even kind of zooming out from that, it's not all that dissimilar to a lot of other instances in which either the federal or state governments have stepped in and said, well, there's this need for for government to step in. And, you know, when, when we say government, we mean the taxpayers um, basically funding all of these things, whether they like it or not. But, you know, the government to step in and say, well, there's a need for whatever reason, whether it be we need to get people back into the market or back into the job market. We need to get people employed. Um, there are certain businesses or certain industry sectors that are hurting. We really need to help them. And uh, so as a consequence of a lot of the pandemic shutdowns, um, certainly at the state level, but also from the federal level, there's a lot of, you know, well-intentioned concern around, well, what are we going to do now that we've told small businesses specifically, you know, that they've month after month after month, you know, have to be shut down and they, you know, they have to change all of their business models. They have to change the way that they help their customers. Um, and a sad consequence of a lot of that means a lot of, a lot of business owners are just opting out. They're like, you know what, I've, I've already put my blood, sweat and tears into this. And it's just, I'm, I'm meeting obstacle after obstacle. So I'm just going to shut down. And then, you know, suddenly, you know, people are left out of work. And then, you know, from the state's perspective, there's less tax revenue coming in. Um, so it's a lose-lose situation for a lot of obvious reasons. But um, when I said well-intentioned, you know, they're legislators are human beings like anything else, you know, like any, any, any of us, you know, they want to help people, all things being equal. And um, but the problem is with uh, bailouts is you are using taxpayer money to um, distort a market that in all likelihood probably doesn't need the kind of help that they are proposing. Um, so in the past year, we've seen bailout proposals for, you know, the airline industry, the hospitality industry, restaurant industries, um, uh, movie theaters, uh, you know, stage production theaters, um, and, and the list can kind of go on and on. Oh, farmers, um, you know, farm, farm businesses. Um, and then, you know, just any kind of small business that can uh, apply for these programs that have been set up, um, and are otherwise eligible, um. And, you know, obviously the pandemic has kind of thrown a lot of that, uh, thrown a, a wrench into a lot of how we kind of, how people generally sort of think of bailouts or, you know, if they think about them at all. I think on one hand, there is an argument to be made that when the state is basically the cause for you being shut down as a business, in other words, if they're the ones telling you that you cannot 
um, you know, you cannot, you know, help customers. You cannot serve people in your restaurant. You can't open your bar or your gym. Um, I think there is an argument to be made philosophically and one that we would even in theory support that says, well, uh, you know, the state government or the federal government even is, is the main reason why they're not able to go to work. So they owe, uh, they owe those businesses some, some kind of, um, opportunity to be made whole. That said, a lot of the discussion around bailouts these days is really getting around that very simple, straightforward philosophy. I don't think that there's any argument that, you know, that is the right thing to do and, and states ought to be um, getting businesses back to a point where they would have been otherwise absent state intervention <laughs> for, you know, for public health reasons or whatever that, you know, it might be. Um, but so many of the bailouts, like pretty much any bailout that's ever been proposed before, especially thinking back, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, back to the, the last financial crisis, it's basically using an emergency situation to um, to fiddle with the economy and to play God in, in, in the otherwise open economy. And it's our perspective, whether we're in an emergency situation as we have been this past year or not, um, that it is not the, not the role of any government at any level, certainly not the federal government, to be flooding the market with all of this um, distortive uh, tax revenue dollars. Um, that basically flood the market and 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 distort all of the signals that need to be there to tell people where they need to um, provide resources, where businesses ought to be looking, where uh, job applicants ought to be seeking employment. Because um, at the end of the day, the the sad truth is, with bailouts at any time, they often create a an immediate sort of flurry of economic activity. I'm using air quotes, <laughs> economic activity that looks really good. And provides an opportunity for legislators to, you know, do ribbon cutting ceremonies and uh, get these really nice sounding headlines. Look, we've saved all these businesses. The sad truth is a lot of it tends to be very ephemeral, very, very temporary. You know, the you know, you, you might have a few jobs pop up. You might have a few businesses be saved in the short term. But long term, if the fundamentals of the broader economy aren't there, then no amount of bailout is going to keep a business open um, any longer than it should. And I think that gets us to the other side of this problem. You know, obviously, we're still largely in, in, in a pandemic reality. And a lot of businesses are still looking at being shut down. And a lot of people are still working from home. And we're still kind of living in this abnormal sort of world. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the suggestion and bailouts is kind of this this presumption that they have absolutely no faith in in markets and no faith in the economy. Um, just looking at what's being proposed now, you know, we've got hundreds of billions of dollars being proposed either in direct bailouts, direct subsidies or tax credits to small businesses that apply. Or we have a, a wealth of lending programs that have been set up by Congress through the Federal Reserve um to to go to you know main street uh businesses and to help small operations and again as nice and as well-meaning as all that is the plain truth is particularly with the federal reserve lending programs they a lot of those funds sat dormant so there's you hear from legislators that there's this you know huge need for all of this uh all of these uh programs to be set up to help small businesses and to help bail them out um, on the one hand, that's that's not helpful for the economy long term at all. But on the other hand, I mean, I think the proof is kind of in the pudding. These businesses didn't even come come to the government asking for them for a lot of, you know, for most of last year, particularly on the lending side. Um, so I think a lot of the arguments around the necessity for bailouts is pretty dubious at any time. 
but particularly now that we've we've kind of rounded a corner and we've got vaccines on the horizon and we're we're slowly getting to the point of, of at least considering the fact that we're reaching herd immunity as a country um so i think now that we're kind of on the downside of a lot of the the, the covid issue there's no reason to think that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And in my opinion, and I think the opinion of AFP, you know, it would not now is not the time. If there ever was a time, it certainly is not now that we need to be considering even more infusion of, of, of tax dollars into the economy. You know what I find yeah, interesting so, there? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Anna. Well, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on what Michael said and apply it to the state level. So right now the economy is doing better certainly better at this point than any other recession in history this is certainly a very different recession and the issue with the biden administration offering an additional i think it's 350 billion of billion dollars to state governments and local and, and tribal governments is that by and large now is not the time when they needed it um it's not something that we supported all like right out back in the spring whenever cares went through but it was something that we thought could be you know a bridge to help those state governments it was definitely as michael said the cause the state governments caused their economies to shut down um but by and large they also had the ability to make the spending decisions to be in a better position than they were heading into coronavirus. So for the past five years, we've had unprecedented economic growth and unprecedented spending on the on behalf of state and local governments. So when, when we talk about the federal government giving the state governments money, we talk about you know, federalism and creating those states being essentially just more and more wards of the federal government, which they should not be. They have the ability to tax. They have the ability to spend. Most of them have some kind of constitutional amendment that requires them to pass a balanced budget. They have had all of the ability um, to make decisions to come out of this pandemic, to come out of this economic downturn in a much better position. So except for the states that have made bad decisions for the past decades. So Michael's completely right. You know, this was a, a, a this economic downturn was odd. It was of their own choosing. It was what was necessary to get us through this pandemic time. But there was hundreds of millions of dollars in CARES funding that wasn't even spent. So the fact, why do we need hundreds of billions of dollars more being sent that most likely will not be able to be spent unless it's just propping up state budgets, which, as we've said, is completely is completely wrong in our view. A couple of things that uh, really came to mind when I was listening to you all. Michael, you talked about the idea that that you have to look long term, that took me back to economics in one lesson that you know the the mistake that most bad economists make is they will look at one specific group of people or group of, of organizations over a specific period of time rather than looking at all over a longer period of time it goes into what Bastiat talks about when he talks about the seen and the unseen you touched on that also where you say yeah we'll have this this flurry of economic activity well you'll have a lot of ribbon cuttings and people will be out there you'll see this, you know, what what positive things allegedly the spending brings, you won't see the things that that 
hurt, the people who get hurt, or the long-term impact of, of this. And it also, I, I found it interesting, both of you talked about how there were laws already, there were things that have already been passed that could have helped, that could help, and yet they're not being used. And it seems like every time we have an emergency like this, the, the solution is seems to be throw money at it and pass legislation. And this doesn't seem any different than that. My, my, I guess I don't have a question there. Just comment, you know, just a comment. But, <laughs> um, Anna, my, 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 my question to you is the problems that we're seeing are, are these on the state level? I, I hadn't thought about the fact that this, the closing had impacted, um, state tax revenues. How, how big of an impact was that? And when, when states talk about needing a bailout from the federal government, is it because of that, or were there longer-term issues that they're they're now looking for a Band-Aid to cover? Yeah, so Chris Edwards at Cato has done some fabulous research over the past year, um, looking specifically at well, a lot of a lot of organizations have um, pick your favorite. They've probably written a piece on the separation between what state how state revenues declined. And what the federal government proposes to do, and it really is, in some case, in a solution in search of a problem, state addition, it, depend, it depended on how your state was initially um, structured within your tax structure. So if you had a state that was very dependent upon volatile revenue sources like gaming, because casinos were shut down, Nevada, um, oil because initially we had that big drop off in the cost of the price of a barrel of oil. So Alaska, Texas, North Dakota, um, if you were overly dependent on one source of revenue, it was going to mean problems for your state. But you also should have a much larger rainy day fund or a stabilization fund that would help you to smooth out that dip in your revenues. If you had a state that had sales taxes that were broad and not super carved out, if you had a relatively low and equally applied income tax, if you had made good spending decisions leading up to any kind of financial crisis, which they've been happening every 10 years, we've had three big recessions in this um but in this new century alone, um, then yes, you would have seen an initial drop, especially in income taxes whenever people were being laid off um, or told you know they couldn't work. You were going to see some initial dip in sales taxes because folks are not you know you couldn't buy a car. That's certainly a big chunk of what people are paying in sales taxes. Um, but if you had a sales tax on food, you know, relatively low on food and clothing and those other things, people were still buying, people were still selling, um, especially those big online um, stores. So you did initially see a drop, but you also saw when the economy kind of started, states started opening back up at least to, you know, 50% capacity for restaurants. Um, you still you saw then when people started going back to work and some people definitely have that the revenue forecasts for this time is actually better than last time um, you know a year ago or two years ago so the forecast 
for 2019 into 2020, we're actually seeing more revenues in 2021, which is an argument as to why most states do not need a federal bailout. But if you are Illinois that has structural deficits year after year after year, um, this this downturn costs you about $7 billion if you're in New York that also has structural spending issues year after year after year. This costs you $6 billion. If you're in New Jersey, if you're Pennsylvania, um, then you have not been making good spending decisions or good taxing decisions for decades. I'm 36 years old. I don't have any problem telling you that. For most of my life in the state of Pennsylvania, which is my home of birth, they have been making poor spending decisions. This was not brought on by the pandemic and the economic response. Um, this was this Pennsylvania probably would have had a spending deficit um, regardless because they have in most of these years. So if you look at South Dakota, if you look at New Hampshire, um, Tennessee, Tennessee going into the pandemic had a $600 million surplus. This, this current fiscal, um, forecast, it's about a $1 billion surplus. So Tennessee's making good decisions. They've got basically no income taxes. They're phasing out their hall tax. They have a sales tax that pays for a lot of things. Um, which is very different than Nashville, Tennessee, which has made terrible spending decisions and enacted a 34% property tax increase on individuals, many of them who were without work because of the pandemic. Um, so it's just how your state reacted to this, how the state budget reacted really depended upon how well your rainy day funds were funded, how well your tax structure is low and equally applied to things, um, whether you have an income tax and how much you spent in the past five years. So when you had large economic gain, when you had large budget gains, large revenue gains in the past five years, because we had a great economy, then if you were spending all of that, you're going to have trouble. If you were saving some of it, if you were restructuring what you were spending, you were going to be fine. It seems as if yeah, and I, 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 I was just going to say it seems as if some states may be looking for this, maybe looking for this stimulus or this bailout as a way of of just continuing bad habits and bad decisions that they've made over time. And I, right. I, I can't I can't help but think that the states that were doing well might be ones that say we don't need it. Yeah, because more federal money normally comes with strings attached. Good point. So they're within, you know, with this CARES Act, the reason why the CARES spending wasn't so bad is because there were things that you could not use the money on. So if you used it for coronavirus expenditures, but you couldn't use it to just backfill your budget deficit, you couldn't use it to prop up your pensions that have been underfunded for decades. Um, which Illinois specifically asked for um, $40 billion of a bailout to the federal government, $9 billion of which was to bail out their underfunded pension liabilities, but without any reforms. So in the, in, as Michael talked about in the future, looking down the road, the state was going to be in the same place because they didn't make any, any kind of reforms 
and they would not have made any kind of reforms with a bailout. Well, and I, I think it's um, I think it's interesting too how in this new administration and this new Congress with their new majorities, how much talk there is to this of this nebulous kind of idea of equity, right? And this 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 nebulous sort of idea of how we have to have um, equal outcomes for everything. But I, I wonder, you know, how how equitable it is, particularly in the bailout, uh, you know, debate. As a taxpayer, as a federal taxpayer in Virginia, how equitable is it that I am paying into a system with my tax dollars to basically bail out Illinois or California or, you know, uh, New Jersey or, or any number of these states that have, as you say, Anna, been fiscally irresponsible for a generation or more and suddenly see an opportunity to, to help themselves out. But at my expense as a taxpayer who, who has no horse in that race when it comes to their state budgets. Like I, I'm, I don't live there. I've never lived there. I've never spent any money there. <laughs> so why, why, if, if the overriding concern these days is one of equity, I guess I'm a little concerned why th- this, this is, this seems to be a blind spot. And I can tell you why. I mean, it's a rhetorical question. It's because there's a, it's a political moment. Uh, that, that a lot of state leaders, particularly the more irresponsible states, see, see an opening. They see, well, here's our, here's our chance to kind of go back to the trough and, and get as, you know, many, many billions of dollars and, and, and tax dollars as we can. Whether they've got strings attached to them or not, you know, it's, it's better than having to make the hard decisions at home, uh, and having to face your own voters versus having to not worry about facing voters in states that, you know, you don't see, you don't, you don't have to deal with. What do you say to folks? Who say, look, you, you are promoting this save lives, save livelihoods, recover stronger. We need these these state bailouts in order to do that. Without this influx of money from the federal government, we won't be able to save lives. We won't be able to save livelihoods. We won't be able to recover stronger. Well, well um, oh. I well, I went so through 2020, I went through every state that has an AFP state chapter and looked for spending that was wasteful or unnecessary or out of date. Um, Stuff like travel budgets. If state employees are working from home and they aren't going anywhere, why don't we claw back that travel budget and use it for either to help with the, with the deficit or to some other kind of, you know, actual coronavirus spending of which makes up, I'm sure, a very small part of most state budgets. Um, no state fairs happen this year, at least in many, many states. So why are we spending millions of dollars every year to have a state fair? Let's cut out that money. Michael can talk about the corporate welfare, which in Pennsylvania's budget is $1 billion. That's one quarter of the deficit that the state found itself in in this time last year. So there there are many ways that they can cut and make the difficult decisions that you have to make when you're involved in governing and eliminate unnecessary spending. Most, I mean, everyone says, oh, it's it's like the Washington Monument kind of argument at the federal level. At the state level, it's always educators or children, education, fire, police, whatever. You don't have to go to those pots of money, although there is probably unnecessary spending in those pots as well. But 
there's endless amounts of revenue within the state legislators spending authority that they can use to cut to divert that money. And I'm not making the argument that we need to cut our way into economic prosperity, but definitely if you're looking in the future down the road, what your state can do, look at the states that have relatively low tax and how taxes rates and how that they've done better in the past year. Now, just a point to get this off my chest, because I do talk about and I've raised rose colored glasses for state budgets because the evidence does not um, show that we need bailouts. But Michael lives in Virginia. There are one in five small businesses that are gone that just don't exist anymore in Virginia. And that's startling. So there's definitely a high price that has been paid by individuals who owned those small businesses, who worked at those small businesses, who wanted to pick up their favorite taco from a small business that doesn't exist anymore, or their favorite pizza place doesn't exist. But that's also individuals that don't have any income to pay increased taxes. So you also cannot tax your way to a better economic recovery. Yeah, I, I think to Anna's point, she, she's, she's absolutely right. I mean, even in my own neighborhood, in the last six months, I've probably seen, I don't know, at least a half dozen different, you know, the delis or little stores or shops just on my street close. And, and, and they they make it plainly clear, you know, you, you walk up to the, the now vacant lot or store or whatever, and they've usually got signs up there basically saying, you know, we'd love to stay open, but it's COVID and, you know, they're just forces outside of our control. And it's an absolute tragedy. But I think Anthony, Anna's larger point is, is absolutely true that, you cannot, you can't just cut your way to prosperity. You can't tax your way to prosperity. These have to be structural changes um, that 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 have to be implemented if you want to have long-term, sustained, you know, positive growth. Um, and 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 I think the all you need to do is is again look at the the states that have endeavored to do that certainly before this last year, but even in spite of this past year. Um, that have that have maintained low taxes and you know uh, minimal regulation, light government touch, um, versus the states that have not certainly in the last year, but even before then, you know, have just have mismanaged their own budgets. And the the difference in terms of their ability to respond economically um, to the you know COVID pandemic has been night and day. Um, it's it, it's it should be no mystery why you you know on one side of a border see like I have you know, businesses left and right just closing. Um, whereas, you know, it wouldn't take me very long to drive to a neighboring state and see things, if they're not flourishing, they're certainly moving in the right direction, probably because the state has, for a variety of reasons, decided to get out of the way and let the open economy, the open market do what it's going to do. Is there anything about this subject that I haven't asked about, but you had that, you know, on your list of things that needed to be said? I think just to hone in on the point that why bother having state governments? Why bother having state legislators if we're just going to be more increasingly dependent upon the federal government to make decisions for us, to give us our money? Why why should we even go through this exercise? It's because you know, state governments are able to make the best decisions for their 
residents. People move to different states, and we've seen this especially in the past 20 years. Um, again, another Cato report that high, you know, high-tax states are repelling businesses, but also high-income earners. So there are more people living in Florida today than there are in New York. Um, that it's just people want to make a decision of where they should go for their business and their tax dollars. And I think the best place to look at is North Carolina, where 10 years ago, 20 years ago, during the 2001 and 2008 um, economic downturns, North Carolina was in a very difficult position. But over the past, well, since 2013, they have made um, just tremendous strides in their tax system, but also their spending system. So you can't just cut taxes. You have to also cut expenditures. And initially, everyone said that they were going to have deficit spending and it was going to be the death knell for North Carolina's economy. And it's the exact opposite. So every time that they made tax cuts and expenditure cuts, they actually had higher surpluses. Um, and there's some difficulty within their budget right now just because the governor and the legislature can't decide what to prioritize and what to spend. They were at a very long stalemate. But the evidence is very clear. If you want to live in a thriving economy that has a legislature that is able to make the best decisions for its own people, who are also federal taxpayers, they're going to have a high rainy day fund um, that's adequate, not super high, like a wealth fund, like Alaska and North Dakota. There's definitely states that are getting it wrong, but a solid rainy day fund to help them through any economic downturn, no matter the cause, low, simple tax structure, preferably sales tax, um, some states also have an income tax like North Carolina. It is flat. It is low. They have a corporate net income tax that is only 2.5%. And they've done all of this not at the expense of taxpayers' lives and livelihoods, but in allowing those taxpayers to truly thrive and to truly just break those barriers to allow people to realize their potential, which is what Americans for Prosperity seeks to do. So we are seeing this in many states. Um, I just, I can't say it enough, and maybe Michael wants to reiterate it because I'm kind of going on a tangent, but federalism is a, is a structure that allows the states to be sovereign-ish. I don't know if that's a good word, Michael, but to allow states to make the best decisions. I'll accept it. <laughs> Okay, to allow people to make the allow those legislators the power and ability to make the best decisions for their state, which is different from another state. There's definitely themes to what we see works in a lot of states and what doesn't work in a lot of states. But by and large, it's essential to preserve states and not just have them be taken over by the federal government. Yeah, I think that's spot on. It's interesting to me. It was I was reading last week some of the uh, many, many executive orders that were coming out of the Biden administration. 
And um, where where it's relevant in, in some of these executive orders, they they make it plainly clear that if there are new rules coming out of the White House that uh, that involve states um, and and uh, and uh, uh, like tribal territories, Native American tribal uh, uh, areas, that the the latter are exempt from a lot of other things. You know, they they get they get to maintain their sovereignty as tribal lands, which I think is completely true. It, that's that's the right way to go about it. But it's interesting to me how they're they're their um, default position, their posture is one of like, well, we can provide sovereignty for only some of these states don't get sovereignty. They've earned their sovereignty if they're going to get any money from us. Like, no, that's, that's the absolute backwards way of thinking about it. State sovereignty must be the default position. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, henceforth, individual sovereignty, of course. Um, but it's just it's curious to me as I'm reading through some of these executive orders that it's like, well, they make it plainly clear that that certain territories get to maintain sovereignty for whatever reason. And and uh, but the other ones have to, in effect, earn it. Um, the only other point I wanted to add is, um, you know, when it when you're talking about Anne is completely right when it comes to bailing out um, state governments uh, from the federal government. But I think kind of zooming in a little more to. Uh, business-specific or industry-specific bailouts, either at the federal or state level, the principle is very much the same. Um, but I think it's it's kind of a bigger question of Dwayne, what you were referencing earlier about seen and unseen kind of consequences. Um, pandemic or no uh, bailouts at any level uh, to private enterprise is is very distorted and very destructive and counterproductive. Um, and I guess I would just ask, you know, if you are a taxpayer, whom would you trust more with $100? Would you trust the state to be able to give that to the, the firm that they know is going to create the most value in the local economy? Or would you yourself rather take that to the store or the, you know, the, the, the restaurant or the gym or wherever you want to, you know, spend your money? Um, who is the better steward of those funds and who collectively do we think is going to be able to provide for the best, um, the best sort of economic, uh, uh landscape? And very often, as we've seen, unfortunately, either the federal or state government, you know, they, they aren't very good. They don't have a good track record at actually picking winners and losers. So I would suggest to, uh, to anybody who's thinking about, well, bailouts are necessary because we're in a time of emergency. Well, think again, we've been, this is often the, the excuse given, you know, well, whether it's a pandemic or not, or, well, we just need to get more jobs into the, into the state. You know, they always claim an emergency to, to justify something that, that they probably shouldn't be doing in the first place. And to Anna's point, if they got all of their fiscal decks in a row, they wouldn't even need to engage in this kind of uh, skullduggery to begin with to, to entice businesses to come to their state. So I think whether you're talking about industry bailout or state government bailouts, these things definitely go hand in hand. And uh, if, if, if they got, if states got things on a structural level more figured out, there would be less of a need for either the federal government to bail out industries generally or bail out state governments specifically. Thanks again to Anna and Michael. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider telling a friend about it and leave a review on whatever service you're listening to us on right now. I'm Dwayne Lester, and this has been Insight to Action.